From the great American Pacific Northwest, greetings and welcome, my friends, to this week's edition of the Parachronicle Almanac. I'm Jonathan Hawk. This week we'll hear about Sir Richard Branson, the famed billionaire and adventurer, and his long-awaited attempt to be one of, if not the first, space tourist aboard his rocket, the VSS Unity, above the skies of New Mexico this past week. And did John Lennon, yes, that John Lennon, See a UFO over New York in the 1970s? Well, he was pretty insistent about it over the rest of his life, and we'll hear more about that. Now, it's been a while since we've seen Bigfoot in the news, but there may have been a spotting in upstate New York, I believe it is, so we'll hear about that too. All of that and more is coming right up. Now, before we get to the news, don't forget to like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our show. You can also follow us on Twitter at X and on Facebook at the Parachronicle Almanac. We post news throughout the week, so follow us to stay on top of the latest. And we're always looking for stories from you, paranormal or otherwise, so give us a call on the Parachronicle hotline at 818 818- Five seven zero zero one two six. If you'd like your story featured on a future episode, that's eight one eight five seven zero zero one two six. You know what to do. Save it to your contacts, or you can always email me at hawk at theparachronicle.com. That's h a w k e at theparachronicle.com. And on that note, let's dive right in. Well, we start this week with a story from WTTW Chicago saying that flamboyant billionaire Richard Branson reaches the edge of space. Virgin Galactic founder Richard Branson just became the first billionaire to fly his own spacecraft to the edge of space. On Sunday, the winged rocket ship VSS Unity was carried by a mothership to around 50,000 feet before detaching and then blasting to a peak altitude of 57 miles above the Earth's surface before turning to land. The entire trip took roughly an hour and afforded Branson and his three fellow passengers, which were employees at Virgin Galactic rather than paying passengers, a view of the curvature of the Earth and several minutes of weightlessness. But beyond being the ultimate billionaire's joyride, how significant was the achievement? Alan Root, a senior writer at Barron's who writes about the commercial space industry, among other topics, said that while Branson's accomplishment was impressive, it was not nearly as impressive as Elon Musk's SpaceX delivering NASA astronauts to the International Space Station May of 2020. That was the first time a crew NASA mission had launched from the U.S. since the retirement of the space shuttle in 2011. Quote, Musk took two people to the International Space Station. I call that a 10 out of 10 on the excitement meter, said Root. This Virgin Galactic flight to me was sort of a 6 out of 10 on the excitement meter. That's not to denigrate what just happened. It was very cool. Phil McAllister, director of commercial spaceflight operations for NASA, is excited by the boom in commercial space operations and the potential for public-private partnerships. He says, we're just starting to scratch the surface on that. You know, these capabilities were not available to NASA prior to this year. McAllister says NASA's just now assessing how it might want to use some of the opportunities presented by commercial space operations in low Earth orbit. 
Quote, we have just begun a program to determine what might be appropriate for us, said McAllister. You can imagine doing some scientific experiments with that three or four minutes of microgravity. You can also use it for uh, some sort of tool development. If you want to take a tool or some sort of mechanism up to the International Space Station, you want to make sure it works in microgravity because you don't want to take it all the way up there and then have to bring it back. So there's a myriad of ways we can think about leveraging these capabilities. According to McAllister, the best thing about the development of a private space industry that NASA can partner with is that NASA doesn't have to do all the work. Previously, we had to build everything ourselves, said McAllister. Now with the private sector taking on this responsibility and developing these capabilities themselves, we could just buy a ticket just like everybody else, and we think that's pretty cool. Virgin Galactic has reportedly sold some 600 tickets at $250,000 a piece for space tourists with very deep pockets, no kidding. While a seat on Bezos' new Shepard spacecraft set to carry the Amazon founder into space later this month was auctioned off for some $28 million. Root likened Branson's Virgin Galactic experience as an essentially being like a Disney ride for the 1%, and that's not untrue. Local astronomer, planetary scientist, and space enthusiast Mark Hammergren says it's likely to be a long time before space travel is accessible to all but the richest among us. Quote, looking at Virgin Galactic, I think Virgin Atlantic is a good comparison here, said Hammergren. People can spring for international plane travel, so families can do that kind of thing. That's in the realm of ordinary people. So then you go to like specialty cruises, maybe in on an order of magnitude of 10 times the cost, that's what people might be able to spring for. But he says that when the cost of a flight is $100,000 and up, that's beyond budget for most people. So I think the price is going to have to come down by at least a factor of 10, if not more. That that's when things will really begin opening up to the public," said Hammergren. So that's uh, anyway. The the flight was successful, and congratulations to the Virgin Galactic team and uh, Sir Richard Branson. And I know this has been a very long time in the works, and I think by the time this podcast goes live, uh, I'm not exactly sure of the date, but I think by the time this goes live, uh, Jeff Bezos will have also taken a trip in his own new Shepard rocket. Uh, so either the best of luck or hopefully congratulations to the Blue Origin team, depending on when this hits the podcast services and when they take their flight. Um, but yeah, that's very exciting to see. It's I think it's it's progress nonetheless. Yeah, it's not accessible to most people and, you know, 99.9% of people probably. But it's a step forward. Uh, you have to. I, th I like to think about what about Bob and things like in cases like this. It's uh, it's all about baby steps, you know. You know, you think about how accessible space was in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and and then you get to today, uh, and man, it's leaps and bounds. And I know it's still really not that accessible, but we're talking about going to space here. And so the amount of money that it takes to fuel one of those rockets, get it up past our atmosphere and into orbit, pretty incredible sums of money. And the more it happens, the the more the cost will be driven down, I'm sure. Um, and, and, and globally as well. There are other countries that are interested in, in doing these sorts of uh, space uh, tourist type things and other space uh, endeavors like space stations. I know, I, I think I've heard India, um, somebody else I'm trying to think of it, and it's just not coming to the top of my head right now. But nonetheless, very exciting. I, there's just a lot of progress happening in, in a very quick uh, amount of time. And I think of it also like comparing it to computer technology. 
uh, and where we were 50 years ago to where we are today, you know, I think with with every passing year, this technology be, does become more affordable and more accessible and becomes more reliable and um, and ultimately will allow for that 99% or at least the maybe the top 10% at first of uh, the world's richest people to get to space and then slowly over the years we'll eventually get to a point where I think space tourism and uh, space science being able to go into a uh, space jobs for that matter who knows I mean you might end up having custodians in space and uh, Lord only knows hotels in space where you have to uh, check in with a, uh, a front desk with somebody yeah, I don't know. All that's going to be autonomous, I'm sure. But anyway, point being, I think over time it will become more accessible and it's very exciting to see the advancements that have been happening over the last several years. And there are many more to come with Starship and other companies as well and other countries as well. So we'll keep an eye on space news and keep reporting on it here on the Parachronicle Almanac. And from Showbiz Cheat Sheet, John Lennon claimed he saw a UFO and was so spooked that he had a friend call the police. One night in 1970s New York City, John Lennon swore he saw a UFO. The former Beatle insisted he saw it and was so concerned he had a friend contact the police to investigate. Although many laughed off the musician, Lennon never backed down from his assertion of what he had seen in the dark Manhattan sky. The imagined singer experienced what he called a lost weekend, only his weekend lasted 18 months from 1973 to early 1975. Now, during this time, Lennon and his wife Yoko Ono were separated. He took up with his secretary, Mei Pang, and left New York City for LA. It was a creative time for Lennon, but one during which he drank and did drugs to excess. On top of that, the partying he engaged with led to newspaper write-ups chronicling his outlandish behavior in public. Quote, let off the leash as he now felt, John hit the bottle like I was 19, 20, 21, etc. His biographer Philip Norman wrote in John Lennon, A Life. And as ever, just a couple of drinks in the American supersize changed him in an instant from irresistible charmer and jokester to surly, incoherent, venom-tongued, trouble-seeking, and often violent drunk. By 1974, Lennon and Pang returned to New York City to a penthouse on the east side. It was there that the musician witnessed a UFO in the sky. Speaking in 2020 with New York City radio personality Ken Dasho of Q104.3, Pang recounted the sighting and stood by Lennon's version of events. She recalled that he, at the time, had been working on walls and bridges and that this particular night, we had just come back from the studio. We had just finished listening to all the mixes of the album. The couple had decided, she said, to go out for pizza. I'm in the other room getting dressed, so he's standing out on the balcony. It's a beautiful summer's night. It's a Friday. This block where we lived are some highfalutin people. We're talking about Kissinger. You're talking about the block was John Mitchell, Greta Garbo. So John's standing out there, <laughs> naked, mind you, in the dark, and he's looking downriver. Pang described what Lennon told her upon seeing the object. I'm looking downriver and I see flashing lights, so I'm thinking, oh yeah, it's, it's just a billboard sign. Then it dawns on me, there's no billboard sign, we're in a residential area. And as he turns, he sees this thing overhead moving very, very slow, I mean crawling. 
Lennon, she said, began calling out for her to come to the balcony. When she raced out to see what was happening, quote, I look at this thing that is so close to us, no sound. I could see the underbelly of this object. You could see white lights around the rim and then one solid red light. You could actually see this whole vessel. Quote, it just cleared the building next to us. That was it. And there was no noise. John looked at me and said, you're seeing what I'm seeing? And I go, it's an effing UFO. The pair watched the object for 10 to 15 minutes move and uh, in a slow crawl down the river. It even moved sideways, according to Pang. Having forgotten their pizza dinner, Lennon and Pang watched it make its way over the borough of Brooklyn and the Williamsburg Bridge, sit there for a second, and then all of a sudden go straight up. The Whatever Gets You Through the Night singer related this event to his friend, photographer Bob Gruen, who called around to newspapers and the police and was told many other residents had called about that same flying object. Lennon noted the experience on the liner notes of his 1974 album Walls and Bridges. Quote, On the 23rd of August, 1974, at 9 o'clock, I saw a UFO. And is a Bigfoot roaming the woods of St. Lawrence County, New York? Well, this is from Northern New York 360. In 2020, New Yorkers reported 113 Bigfoot sightings, according to Microsoft News. And for some North Country residents, Bigfoots are believed to be residing in their own backyards. Messina resident Michael Guimond was driving home on County Route 37 at about 11.30 p.m. on June 20th when he spotted what he believes to be a Sasquatch. Quote, something bipedal ran across the road within 50 feet of my car. This thing was extremely fast, Guimond said. I was going 60, and it crossed the road from right to left in less than a second. It was not a deer. I've seen plenty of deer. This thing was brown or gray, shaggy, and had arms and legs that moved in a circular motion. Guaman posted on Facebook about his sighting the same night, causing a slew of stories from other people within the area having the same experiences. Quote, I lived there in 2011, and I started walking my dog outside at night at around 8.30, uh, Rick Lausen said. The woods at the back of my house went on for miles and miles. I was out there a couple nights, and I kept hearing loud screaming noises. It sounded like nothing I'd ever heard before in my life. It sounds like a mix between an elephant and a bear. It goes right through you, and it's deafening. Lauzon lived at his Louisville home from 2011 to 2015, and he noted before he lived at the home, he was not a Bigfoot believer. Quote, the summer of 2013 was when it started to get really bad, Lauzon said. Early every night I would have company over, and every time we were outside we would hear this thing screaming. One day I came home from work at 8 a.m., and my neighbors were all outside. While I was at work, one of them ran through my yard and destroyed my birdhouse. There was Bigfoot print, there were Bigfoot prints through my whole yard and hair stuck in my fence. After the recurring incidents, Lauzon contacted Dean Gleason, director of Seaway Valley Bigfoot Research, to do a week-long investigation. The DEC came with him and they all went into the back woods at about 3 a.m., Lauzon said. They were doing tree knocks and the thing was doing tree knocks right back. One of them threw a rock into the brush and a minute later something threw the rock back at them and let out a huge roar. Gleason began Seaway Valley Bigfoot research for people to report sightings and experiences they have had. Quote, I've been doing Bigfoot research for quite a number of years, Gleason said. I've had six sightings in this area. I used to have a Sasquatch sticker on my Jeep, and I had 40 to 50 people come up to me throughout the community and tell me their stories. A lot of people think Bigfoot research is a big joke, and of course people laugh at me. Some of my own family doesn't even believe me. After 10 years of research, Gleason believes the animals are harmless 
unless provoked. Quote, I don't want any of them to get hurt or people trying to find them and mess with them, Gleason said. I really feel that they don't bother people unless they're provoked. I've only ever had one get aggressive with me, and I've been in the woods with a lot of them, and they're always, they've always left me alone. The United States has a lot of habitat for them, Gleason added. They're a worldwide phenomenon. Every country has a belief in an animal like this. There's a lot of credible evidence, and as DNA technology advances, I think a lot of people are going to be very surprised. And so what do you think? Well, first off, I guess if you live in this area of New York and you've experienced something like this, or know somebody who has, we'd love to connect with you or send us your story, and we'd be happy to share it with everybody. And uh, But if, for those of you who don't, uh, what do you think? Do you think something's going on? It seems like... Uh, this has been happening in this area of New York for a number of years, at least 10 years, and probably more, I would imagine. But what are your thoughts on Sasquatch and Bigfoot? Reach out and let us know. Well, this is always a fun time of year and a good reason to get outside and look up into the sky. The Perseid meteor showers are on the horizon, and the moon phase that they're occurring in is aligning for an ideal peak. The Perseid meteor showers proclaim the best meteor shower of the year by NASA and happens every year around this time. What is so great about it is that you don't need special viewing equipment to view the shower. In addition to being a spectacular sight, this year will have an extra perk. During the peak of Perseid, the moon will be in the waxing crescent phase, giving little illumination to compete with meteors. The days leading into peak will be great as well, due to the new moon phase on August 8th. The bright and fast-moving Perseid meteor shower will send up to 100 meteors streaking across the sky per hour during the peak in perfect viewing conditions. The peak is on August 10th and 11th of this year, and the average viewer in ideal conditions will see 40 to 60 meteors per hour. The meteors can be viewed during non-peak time between July 14th to August 24th, so practically a little over a month. There will not be as many meteors on these dates as the peak, but you will still be able to catch up to 40 at times. Now, how the heck do you view this celestial marvel? Well, find a location that has a full sky view and not much light noise. Give your eyes time to adjust. I'd say usually on average, eh, maybe up to five minutes, depending on where you've been and how bright things have been around you. Earth Sky recommends an hour minimum to observe as the meteors and meteor showers come in spurts and are interspersed with lulls. And the best time to take a look is from 9 p.m. to dawn, and really, actually, even the, the better time is between 2 a.m. and dawn. So get out starting this weekend and take a peek up at the starry sky. And as I always say, what better way to spot something unexpected up there, if you know what I'm saying? And if you do, you know who to call. And I guess this is an odd one, even for us, but News 4 in Wisconsin is reporting that the world's tallest horse, Big Jake, has passed away in Wisconsin at the age of 20. The world's tallest horse has died in Wisconsin. The 20-year-old Belgian named Big Jake lived on Smoky Hollow Farm in Poinette. Felicia Gilbert, wife of the farm's owner, Jerry Gilbert, said Big Jake died two weeks ago but declined to give the exact date of death when the Associated Press reached out to her on Monday via Facebook. Quote, We would rather not remember him by a date. It's been a traumatic event for our family, she said. Big Jake was 6 foot 10 and weighed 2,500 pounds. The Guinness Book of World Records certified him as the world's tallest living horse in 2010. 
Jerry Gilbert told WMTV that Big Jake was a superstar and a truly magnificent animal. He said, Big Jake was born in Nebraska and weighed 240 pounds at birth, about 100 pounds heavier at birth than a typical Belgian foal. He said he plans to memorialize Big Jake by keeping his stall empty and inserting a brick on the outside of it with his picture and name. Quote, it's been very quiet at the farm, Jerry Gilbert said. The other horses know. I think they have their own grieving time because Jake was the center of attention around here. There is a huge void. It feels like he's still here, but he's not. Well, we send our wishes out to the Gilbert family at the farm, and yeah, nothing can replace a horse like Big Jake, I'm sure. Well, that's it. Uh, that's all I've got for this week. Don't forget to reach out if you see something unusual in the sky or someplace else, or if you have an interesting story to tell. You can call our hotline at 818-570-0126 or find us at www.theparachronicle.com. Like I said, even if you're out there looking at those Perseids this weekend or in the coming month, call that hotline or reach out to us if you see something that you weren't expecting. Please, of course, like or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on or pass this podcast on to spread the word about our show here. And until next time, keep your eyes to the sky and know that here on Earth and in the universe, we are not alone. For the Parachronicle Almanac, I'm Jonathan Hawk. 